Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Career Talks podcast. As always, I'm your host, Orlando Haynes. Super excited each week. These amazing guests, the network you can build, the relationships you can build on LinkedIn uh, is absolutely extraordinary. So uh, super excited for today's guest. But before we get started, just wanted to share uh, as you're coming in, let us know where you're coming in from. Say hello. Say hello to my guest, Maya, or myself. Uh, let us know again where you are. And if you have any questions, if you've seen the title, you should see the title, Applying a Founder Mentality to Grow Your Corporate Career. Definitely get ready because uh, Maya and myself, well, mainly I'll field those to Maya to, to, uh, to, to answer, but definitely uh, get ready to, to soak up some information uh, and get some actionable advice that you can take into your career. But uh, this episode is sponsored by uh, the Career Accelerator Planner. It's a planner that my partner and I, Karen Turner, joined forces and created. This is designed to track your performance, your value, uh, and your worth when it comes to your career. Uh, if you're in a situation where you cannot remember six months to a year's worth of the projects and performances that you've done, this planner hel helps you outline and structure those. Uh, all that information is prompted with questions so you can see all the projects you've done, the outcome of the projects, and that just adds value when it comes time to those crucial conversations around performance reviews salary negotiations or even in career transition. So head on over to the career accelerator uh, to grab your copy. All right. So today I am definitely excited. I have uh, the career success coach. Uh, she is also a LinkedIn learning instructor, uh, a best-selling author of the book called Invaluable. And I just asked her for a signed copy. So don't get jealous, folks. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, master the 10 skills you need to skyrocket your career. And she is the founder of Maya Grossman Consulting. Uh, please welcome Maya Grossman. How are you? I'm doing well, Orlando. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. As we are coming up on the holidays, I appreciate you. Uh, as we were talking before, you taking the time. We're two days away from, you know, Thanksgiving. Uh, so that's a busy time for folks. But uh, your professionalism, your grace and being willing to jump on uh, and share your expertise. I thoroughly appreciate it. So tell a little bit more uh, to the folks about what you do in, in your background. Yeah, of course. Well, I guess you can say I am a corporate gal turned career coach. I spent about 15 years working for some of the biggest companies in the world, like Google and Microsoft, but I also worked for tiny startups. And I grew all the way from an individual contributor into a VP. Uh, and that has always been my dream. I wanted to be the CMO of a Silicon Valley startup. But when I started my career, I was nowhere near. I actually started my career as a travel agent. I didn't even know that I wanted to get into marketing. I just knew I needed a job to put myself through college. So I took the first thing that came along and I got stuck for seven years. Now, this was a lovely company, really nice people. It just wasn't my thing. I did not want to be a travel agent. I had no passion for it, but it was so convenient that I never stopped to ask myself, hey, what do you actually want? And when one day I did, I realized I don't want to do this anymore. I want to have a career in marketing. The problem was I had seven years of experience that had nothing to do with marketing. And I felt like at the age of 28, I'm going to have to take a step back and restart everything. And I was terrified. 
But the pain of staying somewhere that I didn't like actually became worse than the fear of doing something about it. So I made a plan. I figured out how I can gain some marketing experience while working for the travel agency. And six months later, I got my first marketing job. But that was the first time I realized I can actually manage my own career. I can actually be the driver of the things that happen to me. I can create my own opportunities. And that's where I kind of started learning how to think like a founder, how to think like a CEO, so I can build the career of my dreams. Great. That's, I love that. And the question before we jump into the title is, were you targeting marketing or you fell into marketing and then blossomed from there? Yeah. So while working for that travel agency, I was actually doing my bachelor's. I was taking night classes, which was it meant I had a very crazy schedule, but uh, it was the only thing that was available for me. And I majored in marketing and finance. I hated finance, <laughs> fell in love with marketing. And that what actually made me ask myself, can this actually be my, my job? Can I do this for a living? And I had no one around me doing marketing. So I kind of had to figure it out on my own. Got it. Got it. And then, that, and then, as you stated, you are executive of of marketing at a few companies there, and then that's where you kind of started. There, or probably early on, you started to say, "Hey, I'm gonna take ownership and have this founder mentality." Yeah, exactly. Instead of just waiting and hoping and like praying that something will happen, mm -hmm. I realized I had to figure it out uh, myself. And specifically with that situation, having to pivot from one industry to another. It's actually really hard to do when you don't have role models, when you don't have someone to tell you, here's exactly what you need to do step by step. But I was able to ask myself really important questions like, what would it take? What is the gap between where I am today and where I want to go? Are there any skills that I can put into use to actually grow into a marketing role? And I realized that the most important thing at the time was social media. And if I just educate myself about social media, it will be a really great way for me to open doors and get into marketing and then learn everything else. So that's what I did for six months. I learned everything humanly possible. I read every article. I watched every video. And then I went to my manager at the travel agency and I offered to manage their social media accounts in my spare time for free, didn't ask for a raise or anything like that because I wanted to gain the experience. And because I've been there for a while, they really trusted me and they said, of course, go ahead. You know, whatever will make you happy. So I got the resources. And for six months, I created social media content. I brought in followers. I learned how to use the platform. So I actually had the experience I needed to then go out and look for a marketing job. Love it. Love it. And uh, thanks, uh, Mark, for joining us today from Chicago. Mark Anthony, really cool guy. So that epiphany, that epiphany that shifted, was that prompted by you just taking that initiative, like you said? Or was there a coach or mentor that said, Maya, here's what you're capable of. This is something you can do if you just own it. Where did that epiphany come from where you were like, you know what, I need to have this founder mentality? Yeah, well, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think some of it came from my upbringing. So I was an army brat. My dad kind of 
taught us how to be really accountable. I was taught throughout my childhood, you can do anything you set your mind to. You're going to have to work hard, but you can do anything. And I think that allowed me to ask better questions and to kind of overcome the fear of what if, but I'm not good enough, but I don't have the skills, but I'm 28. Am I really going to restart everything? Am I going to take a step back? And I think that kind of what allowed me to take that step. Um, I felt like no matter what I do, I have an opportunity to succeed. So even if I fail, it's better than not even trying. So if we were, if you were to break that down, um, kind of a step by step, because uh, I'm all about providing that actionable advice for folks to be able to walk away, um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, from each episode to say, you know what, I can apply that right now in my career. The biggest shift, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the mental shift that we need to make. Um, what are some action steps that we can begin to start thinking like a founder? Like, what does that take? What does that look like? Yeah, so I like to say that there are two specific mindset shifts you need to make if you want to become the CEO of your career. The first one is adopting a growth mindset. And that means that you acknowledge that you're not perfect, but you have the ability to learn and grow. So wherever you are right now, that's not the end product. There's more for you and you're capable of growing and learning. Because if you don't feel that, if you think, you know, I am who I am, I'm never going to change. Obviously, there's no opportunity for you to continue growing and do more than what you're doing right now. So that is the first shift. The second shift has to do with accountability, and it's all about adopting an internal locus of control. And what that means is that you believe that you actually have power over things that happen to you. So you can actually impact the things that happen in your life. Maybe you can't control everything, but you definitely have the ability to make things happen. And that's the opposite of having an external locus of control. And those are the people who blame everyone, never really try, uh, think things are happening to them, the world is against them, their manager did this, did that, and they never really take responsibility. So if you can adopt an internal locus of control, if you believe that you can actually drive change and make things happen in your career. And if you believe that you're capable of growth, then anything is possible. And I genuinely believe that human race is, um, is, can do anything, we can do anything we set our minds to as long as it does not defy the laws of physics. And there are so many examples out, out there. People who started with the worst circumstances and became millionaires or people who against all odds were able to conquer crazy challenges. And we can do the same with our careers as long as we're willing to do the work and we believe that we're actually capable. So I want to unpack the first step, uh, definitely for sure, because that's good, adopting the growth mindset. It's one thing to adopt it, right? And then how do you sustain it? Because we can get fired up and saying, this is what I want. Um, like early on, you said marketing and you excelled in marketing, executive level, you know, in marketing. But how did you sustain that during, you know, your journey? So what I've slowly built over the years is a system that turned into habits. And I, I say this to anyone who wants to work on their career. Uh, this is not a one off. You can't do it once 
and see results, right? It's kind of like going to the gym. You can't get a six pack if you go once. You need to work on it and work on it and work and build your muscle. And it's kind of the same with everything you do in your career and to be honest, in your life. So you need to have a process that will keep you accountable. And you need to have tools to keep you motivated because motivation, um, and I think Mel Robbins says this a lot, motivation is garbage. It's an emotion that relies on your environment. So if something happens, if you're not feeling well, if someone told you something, if you saw something on TV, that can really take away your motivation and make you feel really shitty. So you can't rely on motivation to keep you going. You need to build those habits. So it's almost on autopilot. You don't have to think about it. You just know you need to work on your career. You know you need to do something for yourself. And it takes time. But if you start and you do it once a week for 30 minutes and you keep it up, eventually the results are going to compound and you're going to see incredible growth in your career. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the motivation. I kind of look at that as a five hour energy shot. It's right. It's great for the moment. Uh, you get charged up that at some point it starts to dissipate and go off. Uh, your second point, which is crucial, it's it's kind of two different points. The accountability uh, with the internal and external locus with the accountability. Um, are you saying keeping yourself accountable or have a partner uh, to keep you accountable as well or both? Yeah, you can definitely have both. So for me personally, um, I'm a very structured kind of person. So I put everything in my calendar that keeps me accountable. But if you have a community or if you have a partner who's willing to kick your butt when you need it the most, that's incredible. I can't tell you the amount of times where I didn't want to do something or I had imposter syndrome and I told myself I can't do it. And my husband would put up a mirror in front of me. And instead of telling me, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. He basically said, you have to stop complaining. You know you're capable of doing anything that you want. You just need to take time to figure it out. So maybe you're not ready yet, but you will be at some point. And if you have someone who can do that for you, that's incredible. Love it. Love it. So with the internal locus, break that out just a little bit for us learning this term and what that means and then versus the external. Yeah, um, I think it goes back to um, accountability and responsibility. And it's really understanding and believing that you can control some of the things that happen in your life. And as an example, right, let's say that, um, you know, you are a student and you had a terrible midterm and you got a terrible grade. So people with an internal locus of control would say, you know what, maybe I should have studied harder. Mm -hmm. This is my fault because I took the test and I didn't do well enough. People with an external locus of control would say, well, it was an unfair test. My, my teacher hates me. He's against me. It's not my problem. And here's what happened. When you blame someone else, when you don't take responsibility, you assume there's nothing you can do about it. So you're never going to learn. You're never going to get better. You're just going to push it aside and ignore it. And if you have an internal locus of control, that means that you acknowledge that maybe you could have done better and you're going to learn from your mistakes and you're going to apply actions so that you can get better next time. 
And that's how you actually grow. That's how you become better. You can't keep doing the exact same thing and expect to see growth. The whole point is for you to do things that you've never done before, to do things that are harder and more challenging. And maybe it's not going to work the first time around, but you're going to learn from your mistake, apply different steps to try and uh, get better. And that's how you're going to grow. I love it. So when it comes to creating that uh, and sustaining what you mentioned, the founder and C CEO mentality, um, what are some additional practical principles that maybe you've, um, you know, utilized in your personal life or help coach some of your clients um, to, that are, I wouldn't say easy, but seem easy to apply um, versus being overwhelmed and thinking, oh, my God, I have to control every single thing versus, no, if you put some actionable advice, you know, some things in place, get a partner. What are some more principle, simple principle things that you can um, share with us? Yeah. So starting to think like a founder uh, means that you have a different perspective on your career and your life. And I can give you a couple of examples mm -hmm. on how to actually apply that mind shift. So let's say you're at work and most people usually stick to their job description. What's worse, if they're asked to do something outside of their job description, they'll immediately say, no, this is not you know, my job. <laughs> they'll keep their head down. They'll keep going. Now, I am not advocating for working 24-7. This is not what I'm saying here. I'm saying the only way to grow is to kind of go outside of your job description. So when you think like a founder, you understand that even though you may be a small cog in a really big machine, your job is not just what is on your job description. Your job is to make the company more successful. And if there's anything you can do to make that happen, even if it's outside the borders of your job description, you should do that because your goal is to optimize for what's right for the company, not just what's right for your current role. And when you start thinking that way, you will make much better decisions. You're going to stop thinking like an employee. You're going to start thinking like a CEO. You're going to see the bigger picture, not just the tiny details. And that's exactly how you level up. That's exactly how you create opportunities for yourself to be more influential and more impactful by kind of going outside of your job description. And a great example can be fix a problem, even if it's not your job. And I'll give you a great example. When I was doing some consulting work for Google, I was hired to do work that related to marketing. But while I was doing my job there, I actually realized there was a bit of a communication problem going on with the team. Um, it was around the time that people started working remotely, and it was kind of hard to keep everyone informed. And most people would just go about their day, but I really cared about this team. I wanted to make sure that they're successful. And yes, I could have just you know, done my marketing consulting work, but I wanted to have a real impact. So essentially, I reached out to the person who hired me and I said, hey, I know I'm here to do marketing work, but I actually noticed that you can improve the communication uh, across the board with the team and you'll get much better results. And I came up with a couple of different directions of what they can do, and they immediately implemented them and the entire team got more successful. So a tiny shift, something that I already knew how to do, made a massive impact for them. It created a bigger impact for my work. And I had really happy clients who wanted to hire me again and again. And you can do the same thing 
in your day job. So I do think that stepping out of your job description is definitely a great way to demonstrate that you have a, an owner's mindset. Another, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I wanted to say another thing that, that you can do is to always try and think how to do uh, more with less. So when you work for a tiny startup, when you're the founder of a small startup, you don't really have a lot of budget. You have to be really scrappy. You have to think creatively. And very often it helps you come up with really innovative solutions and really effective solutions. From my experience, when you work for the bigger corporations, sometimes, you know, they have bigger budgets, they, they have the way that they want to do things, uh, and they're very kind of set in those ways. So if you can come up with a different solution, if you can continuously ask yourself, if I had no budget, if this was my company, what would I do? You can come up with much better solutions. You can create massive value for the company because anytime you can save money or make money, you become really valuable. So sometimes even trying to think like an owner and asking yourself, how can I do more with less is going to help you to make a much bigger impact. And once again, your goal is to try and position yourself for success. You want to be the kind of person who is ready to take the next level and then the next level and the next level. Obviously, if this is your definition of success, but this is what we're talking about here, building a career that you love, that you enjoy, where you're challenged, where you're fulfilled. And from everything that I learned in my 15 years in the corporate world, that actually comes with growing and doing more and having a bigger impact. Love that. And it's funny because when you said do less with more, uh, I immediately thought during my my time with Amazon, frugality was one of their principles, right? Definitely do less with more. So you made a great transition for me because in, in, in the same vein of growth mindset and you talked about doing stuff outside your job description, you made a post earlier this morning on LinkedIn when it talks about uh, promotions and you gave a oh. think of 10 or so items that saying, here's why people get promoted. Uh, can you share those things? And I know you, whether you can remember all 10 <laughs> or not, I'll, I'll search it while you're talking, but I just love the post. And at the bottom, uh, you said promotions are not given, they're taken, I believe. Yeah, they're taken, they're earned 100%. So I was talking about a couple of reasons why some people get promoted fast uh, while others are, you know, stuck waiting, waiting in line in a way. So first and foremost, you need to understand that promotions, to your point, are not given. And yes, it is possible that your company has a specific cycle for promotions. Yes, it is possible that they require specific tenure before you're actually promoted. But I have seen all of these rules go out the window when you do one thing, when you create value. Because the more value you add, the more valuable you become. And once you understand that a promotion is not about you, it's about the company and the value they'll gain from actually allowing you to level up, you change your perspective. So there are a couple of different things that you can do. First and foremost, people who go beyond their job description because they actually work on qualifying themselves for the next level. 
And it doesn't mean saying yes to everything. And it doesn't mean doing, you know, taking uh, grant work from everyone else. It means being strategic and choosing projects where, where you'll have to stretch yourself, where you'll have to kind of go outside of your comfort zone and grow new skills, because that's exactly how you're going to be ready for the next level. And I think most people are kind of stuck with, I'm just going to do what I know how to do. And you can be great at your current job and it will not actually qualify you for a promotion because in order to grow, you need to do next level work. Mm -hmm. So one thing you can do is to qualify yourself, stretch yourself, get out of your comfort zone, do more than is on your job description. Number two, you need to build a network. Because the decision about your promotion happens behind closed doors. You're not going to be there. And you need people to be your advocates. The first person on that list is your manager. And your manager is, is probably the person who has the biggest impact. So you definitely need them on your side. But you also need other stakeholders. So if very early, you can identify those people. And you don't need like everyone at the company. You probably need three to four people who might be in that room, and you need them to know who you are. You need them to believe in your abilities, and you need them to go to bat for you. So that's something you also need to do. Um, and lastly, sometimes you just have to ask. And this is actually one of my favorite things to teach people how to do, because there's a saying that goes, closed mouth, don't get fed. And I learned that the hard way in my career. And I know that people are terrified of asking for more, asking for a raise, asking for a promotion. They think maybe, you know, it's going to make them look bad or greedy or it feels salesy to, to kind of ask for more. But if you do it in the right way, if you demonstrate that promoting you is actually going to be a benefit for the company, the entire conversation becomes so much easier because essentially you're offering the company an advantage. You're not asking for something for yourself. So I think asking for what you want is key. And you don't have to have this come to Jesus conversation of like, I need a promotion now or I'm going to leave. That's probably the worst <laughs> thing that you can yeah, do. It's about planting a seed. It's about making sure that your manager knows that you're working towards a promotion. It's about making sure that they know that you're expecting to be able to level up in six months and that you're going to do the work that is required to actually get there. And it's about showing them what's going to happen when you actually get that promotion, how much more of an impact you're going to be able to do and why it's worth their while to support you. So you said something uh, in that that I, I want to make sure people catch. You said the promotion is not about you. It's about the company. And I don't know if a lot of people see it that way. All right. We're talking about how to change the mentality. So you immediately start to think about how do I get better? How do I shift my mind so I can become the next level, grow this? But when it comes to promotion, you can, it sounds like this is why I took it. It's like, it's not even about you at that point. It's the value you would bring to the company and the company saying, hey, I can pull out more. So unpack that a little more because I think that's really interesting. I've never heard anyone say that, that the, the promotion is not about you. It's about the company. Yeah. I mean, of course, you need to um, develop your skills and mm -hmm. qualify yourself for the role. So, yes, it starts with you actually working on yourself. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to how you present it, how you ask for a promotion, how you make your case, 
that's when you make it all about the company. And it's actually kind of influence one-on-one. It's never about what you need and why they should do it for you, but rather what do they get out of it? And when you flip the script in pretty much every conversation, not just when you're asking for a promotion, mm-hmm. when you put uh, people first and you ask yourself, okay, I really want this thing, but what are they going to get out of it? Why should they help me? And when you have that leverage of actually gaining, uh, sorry, giving value, you can flip the script and turn the conversation on its head. And then people will die uh, to help you. Like they'll really want to support you because essentially they'll be supporting themselves. That's great. And and I want to make sure people understood that because you, you make it easy to understand and say how you communicate that is really everything. Like the value, it's almost like an, it's, it is an interview, um, to even join the organization, right? You're selling the value of what you can bring to the table. Now you're saying once you've been in there um, and you did the personal development, you've gotten better, you acquired new skills, and to go to the next level to impact the the company uh, and provide value to the company at the next level, you're doing the same thing. You're saying, here's what, I, what I've done or what I can bring to the table at this next level. I love that concept and thought process. So you also said do it the right way, which we just covered. Um, what are some what are some ways that you've coached folks? Have you seen that um, in, in your client base to where they've come to you and said, Maya, you know, I've done this, I've done that. They're just not recognizing it. Any common theme that you've seen that you, you had to coach folks and kind of shift their mindset? Yeah, so there are usually two things. Uh, The most common uh, thing that I see is that people just don't ask for the promotion. They do the work. They assume their work is going to speak for itself. They kind of wait quietly and nothing happens. So it's important for people to understand that your work actually doesn't speak for itself. And it is very likely that your manager has so much going on that she has no idea that you want a promotion. She doesn't remember exactly what you did on every project. You're not top of mind, not because she's not a great manager, but because she has so much on her plate right now. And sometimes just bringing it up, you're actually going to be doing her a favor because now she knows what you want and she can help you achieve it. And I think where most people struggle is to start that conversation, to actually reach out and say what they want. And that's usually where I spend a lot of time with my clients. But one uh, other thing that happens very often is that people remember too late, like two weeks before the promotion cycle, they're like, I want to get promoted. And then they run to their manager and they say, I've been here long enough. I deserve this. I worked so hard. I put in the hours. And it doesn't make sense for two reasons. One, in order to get a promotion, you need to demonstrate you can do next level work. That takes time. Usually you can't do it, you know, overnight. And if you have been doing that and you have a way to prove it, maybe you can get away with a two weeks notice. But I I haven't really seen that happen before. So you need to build your reputation in advance. You need to be part of a process so when the time comes for a promotion it's a no-brainer right your manager the stakeholders they don't have to go back and ask themselves is she really ready because they already have that information and that knowledge because you have consistently reached out to them updated them on your progress and you documented everything that you were able to do 
And I think that's actually something that you offer in your planner, which is brilliant. I don't know why, you know, everyone should be doing this. Always document all of your successes, everything that you're doing, because one way or another, you're going to need it. If you're going to look for a job, you're going to need it for LinkedIn. If you want a promotion, you're going to need it to make your case. So it's crucial to actually keep track of what you're doing. Love it. Love it. So you said something profound again. Um, you said build your reputation in advance. Uh, so in thinking like a CEO, CEOs are considered to be visionaries, right? So they see into the future, stay the course. How early on in our career should we have that same mindset? Because you said sometimes folks are doing it too late. Two weeks before promotions are going to be announced, they're wrapping things up. You want to throw your hat in the ring. How early on um, should we be saying and, and kind of putting our flag and saying, here's where I want to be in two years, 18 months, two years from now? Yeah, well, I genuinely um, recommend that people have a career plan. And it doesn't have to be 10 years into the future. We don't always know, you know, what we want that far into the future, but at least to know what the next step is. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Whatever job you have right now, that's the stepping stone for the next level. And you need to make sure that you make the most of your time in that role to qualify yourself for the next one. So I like to say, you know, maybe not your first day at a new job, but I would say about 90 days, maybe six months into a new role, that's when you start thinking about the next level. And it's not about, you know, um, going to your manager and demanding to be promoted. It's about a mindset shift. It's about being more strategic. It's about choosing the right projects. It's about saying yes to the right things and saying no to things that are not going to help you uh, qualify yourself for the next level. And it's about being mindful that you are continuously learning and growing because what happens for most people, they get really comfortable because about six months into a role, they pretty much know what they're doing. Maybe they even mastered it. It becomes a lot easier and they become complacent. And when mm -hmm. you do that, you stop learning, you stop growing and you wake up a year later hoping for a promotion, but you haven't demonstrated that you're capable of doing more. So I would say about six months into a role, that's when I would start thinking about becoming more strategic. I would make a promotion plan. I will start building relationships so that six months later, you'll be able to make your case for that promotion. I love that a promotion plan. So when it comes to that, let's let's dive into that there, too, because um, it's certain buzzwords you're saying that that's triggering like, OK, this could be a complete topic. You probably said about four <laughs> or five things that I'm taking notes of that it could be its own topic that we could dive into. So promotion plan. Folks don't necessarily we say career plan. Yeah. You don't hear too many people say promotion plan. It's the traditional thought process. If I work hard, they'll 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 recognize it. So in your mind, if you even if you used it in your again, your previous experience in corporate uh, excelling to the VP level, what did that promotion plan look like in its simplest form? Yeah. And, and it can actually a promotion plan and a career plan can be one of the same because mm -hmm. perhaps your career plan is to level up consistently in, in the next couple of years. So if you were looking specifically at a promotion plan, first and foremost, you need to know what you're working towards. You need to know exactly what is the next level and what it looks like. 
Because if you have no idea what success looks like in the next level, how are you actually going to achieve it? Mm. And that's actually something, if you have a good relationship with your manager, that's something your manager can help with. You can have an honest conversation. Maybe it's your yearly review. Understand the gaps between where you are and where you want to go and put together KPIs that you both agree on that if you hit those KPIs, if you develop those skills, that's when uh, your manager is going to know that you're ready for a promotion. And I think having that North Star is going to help you make much better decisions. So step number one, you need a very clear definition of what leveling up looks like. Step number two in this plan is to build your network of advocates. I mentioned it before, mm -hmm. most people never really spend time in creating it in advance. But the last thing you want is to go to someone two weeks before a performance review and beg them to say something nice about you. And unfortunately, this is what I see with most companies, like a month before perf review, this is what the entire company is doing. They're just going uh, to ask for favors. But if you build the relationship early, you'll get much better results and you won't have to put that much energy into it. And usually people get, you know, um, a little bit confused when I say build a relationship. It sounds like a lot of work. It's actually really simple. Here's everything that you need to do. You find the three people who are most likely going to be in the room when they make the decision about your promotion. You reach out to them. You get to know them first and foremost as people. And then you learn what it is that they actually want in terms of their career. What is their team's main goal? What are they hoping to achieve so they can be successful? And then all you need to do every couple of weeks, maybe even once a quarter, you come up with an idea on, on how to help them. Maybe you saw an article that's going to be relevant. Maybe you have a connection that can be a great part of their team. Whatever it is, you actually make an effort to help them. Because when you help people, first and foremost, you show up for them. Mm -hmm. And two, you demonstrate what you're capable of doing. And they're going to remember that and hopefully want to return the favor. Now, there are other things you can do. We're not going to get into that in detail. But building the relationship early is probably the most important part and the one that people uh, don't really spend time doing. So we talked about having a clear definition, building a network, and then what you need to have is a work plan. When you know what the gap is, you're going to have to create opportunities for yourself to actually grow. Because if you do nothing, you'll just keep doing the same work. Maybe an opportunity will show up, maybe it won't. So if you actually want to stretch yourself, go outside of your job description. If you want to do things that are going to qualify you for the next level, you need to look for them. Mm -hmm. And maybe look for them means helping another team. Maybe it means going to your manager and asking for those opportunities. And maybe it means asking to for the company to sponsor uh, a course that you want to take online because it's going to help you develop the skills that you need. But you need to be mindful because if you don't have a plan, if you don't consistently take action, it is not likely that you'll be able to grow at the pace that you want to grow. So I think those are the main things that you need to have in your plan. Got it. Got it. So let me ask you for, for clarification purposes, the difference in those conversations versus directly with your manager, giving him or her um, what your plan is to increase and grow in the, in the company versus 
uh, finding advocates for you. Are those conversations similar in nature, sharing what your vision is, or is it for the advocates? Hey, how can I help? And you're, you're getting those seeds planted in you. This way you can go back, devise a plan and come with a solution. Is there a variance in conversation or is it similar? Yeah, I would say the conversation with your manager is a lot more detailed and it's very promotion oriented. You want them to help you. You want them to know that you're starting the journey to qualify yourself and your manager can actually help you grow a lot faster. Let me give you a quick example. Um, in one of my first roles as a VP, I had a team member who told me that she really wants to become a people manager. But at the time, I, we didn't have the headcount. It was a really small startup. We were just getting started. But I remembered that this is what she wanted. So step number one, I made sure that she had the opportunity to manage some of our external vendors because it still gave her a bit of an opportunity to feel like a manager and to direct other people. And then a couple of months later, when we had an opportunity to bring in an intern, I made sure that she got that intern. And she had a couple of months where someone actually reported to her and she got a little bit of that leadership experience. And she did such a great job. And specifically, her team was so successful that eventually we hired that intern and she became a full-time manager. And all of that happened because she told me this was her goal. And together we built a plan and we found opportunities to give her the experience she needed. So if you have, you know, a manager who believes in you, you can get the resources just by telling them what you're looking for. When it comes to your advocates, it's a little bit different. What you want from them is less about a promotion at this stage when you're just getting started. It's about making sure that they know who you are and that they have a reputation in mind about who you are, that you're an overachiever, that you're the kind of person who actually delivers, that you're um, responsible, because when they're in that room, you need them to immediately think, yes, you know, Maya deserves this promotion. So you're going to do two things. One, you're going to help them. We talked about that. The second thing that you need to do is to make sure that they know what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. And I like to call this process invisible PR because I don't know what about you, but especially when I worked for the bigger companies, about three times a day, you get an email, which is kind of like a project summary. And it's so long that no one reads it. And it includes like 70,000 shout outs. And you get so used to seeing those emails that you stop reading them. So instead of doing that, all you need to do is get those three stakeholders involved. You don't need the entire company. This is where people get it wrong. It's not about how many people know. It's about having the right people in your corner. So what you're going to do, instead of that email, you're going to, every time you start a project, you're going to ask yourself, can I use one of these stakeholders as a subject matter expert? Can I get them involved in my project? And this is not about asking them to actually do work. It's just about getting their opinion, because if you reach out and you tell them about the project and you get their advice, they now have a stake in your success. They are part of this project, and then they're going to want to get those updates. They're going to care about how well you're doing, especially if you're going to take their advice and implement it. They're going to remember you did that, and they're going to root for you. So it's just a different approach to doing internal PR without having to shout from the rooftops, 
but actually just working in collaboration versus working in silo. Love it. And it's a great transition. All the advice you've been providing on really how to become invaluable, which is the title of your book. Um, so whether what you might have covered um, the 10 key skills uh, or the 10 skills you need to, to skyrocket your career. Share with us what got you to write this book, what sparked you to write this book. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So for the longest time, um, I had a to-do task on my list of writing a book. So every year around this time, I plan my career, my life, everything that's going to happen. As I said, I'm a very organized person. My entire life fits into an Excel spreadsheet um, because I don't like to leave things to chance. I like to make things happen. And I think for a couple of years, I had an item that says write a book. And I kept pushing it back, pushing it back, like it's never going to happen. I'm not, a, I'm not an author. I'm not going to write a book. And something happened that changed my mind. Uh, it was around the time that I worked for Google and a couple of different people came up to me. And I think it was even the same week. And they all asked me the same career questions. And it came from a place of, hey, you've done so much. You know, we really um, find your career inspiring. How can I do ABC? And I kept giving them the same answer and the same answer until eventually uh, the pragmatic in me said, I should probably write it down. And I started writing, but instead of writing, you know, a checklist, I ended up um, with an outline for the book. And I started writing it and I shared it with a few people to get feedback. And the feedback wasn't great. And that was a point where I thought, maybe I need to stop. I don't have what it takes. I'm not an author. Who am I? English is not even my first language. How can I be an author? But I happened to listen to a podcast from Marie Forleo, who is someone I look up to. And she said something similar. She was writing a book at the time. And she said, everyone told me, don't write the book. Uh, you're not sharing anything new, right? Everyone knows how to do this. Who are you to even you know, give advice? And she said something that stayed with me. She said, it doesn't matter. Almost everything that you hear and you learn has already be, been out there. It's not completely new. But how people tell the story makes a difference in how it lands. And the way you tell it, only you can tell the story that way. Only you can teach that way. And it's going to land with specific people. And you're going to change their lives. And that made me realize that no matter what I thought, no matter what my fears were, if I can even help one person, it's worth the effort. So I finished the book, I launched it, and it was actually a bestseller. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I like the uh, the Maria uh, reference uh, with her book also with, um, you know, everything is figure outable, right? So you yep. absolutely did that, which is phenomenal. So some of the, t the, the 10, what are, give us the top five um uh, skills. Yeah, so we actually books. covered some of them. We yep. talked about having an owner's mindset. That is mm -hmm. super important. We kind of mentioned uh, learning. So becoming a lifelong learner and actually having a system for learning, because here's what happens. This is like uh, real statistics. About 42% of college graduates never read a book after they graduate, mm. which I think is a little bit sad because there's so much 
that you can learn. And you don't have to read a book. You can watch a YouTube. You can take an online class. But you need to have some sort of system that pushes you to learn. Otherwise, you may not actually invest in yourself. So becoming a lifelong learning learner, that's really important. Um, we talked about accountability. We called it an internal locus of control, but I have a specific chapter for accountability, for showing up, not just for yourself, but also for your team when it really matters. And for having that belief that you can actually change things and you can actually make a difference. And you're probably going to like this, but there's an entire chapter about tracking your success. <laughs> because it is so important, not just so that you can have it for a performance review. It's important for you because now you have a little bit of a brag list. Now, when you have bad days, when you're not sure, when you're doubting yourself, you have something to, to go back to, which is actually proof that you're capable, that you have achieved so much, that you have done so much already, that no matter what is standing in your way, you're going to figure it out and you're going to find a way to make it happen. Uh, so those are some of the things that you have in the book that are going to help you really own your career and build it the way you want to build it. Love it. Love it. And so your your main call to action in what you do as a coach and founder of Maya Grossman's Consulting um, is really helping the ambitious uh, career professional. Now, is yeah. that folk, folks wanting to get to the C-level or just folks looking to scale up in their career at any level? Yeah, definitely anyone who wants to scale up. You don't have to get to the C-level. You don't have to be an executive. It's really about defining what success means to you and going after mm -hmm. it. Because no matter what it is, even if, you know, there, there are two different um, ways to be successful the way I see it. You can either be a rock star, which basically means you're going to be really, really, really good at what you do. You're going to be the best in the world. And you can be an individual contributor, but you're just going to mm -hmm. be fantastic at what you do. Or you can be a superstar. Superstars are the kind of people who need to continuously level up, level up. And they are more focused on the strategic aspect, on leadership. And they might be um, good practitioners, but they don't have to be. And I think that those are two different avenues. And no matter what you think success means to you, in order to actually achieve it, you need to take action. You need to be in control. You can't just wait for something to happen. I mean, how absurd is it that you're going to let someone else, maybe a manager, maybe a company, make decisions about your future? It doesn't make sense. And when you're not actively managing your career, that's what you're doing. You're basically saying, I'm going to let them decide. If they want to promote me, okay. If they don't, they don't. If they want to give me a raise, okay. And it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it that way. And the only little tiny shift that you need to make is just realize that you're in control. You're essentially the CEO of a one-person company, and you need to make that company successful. Love it. Love it. So uh, one to last question here uh, as we wrap up, and I want to be mindful of your time. As a founder now and a CEO of your own company, uh, you, earlier you mentioned around this time you kind of reevaluate everything. What's next uh, for Maya? What are you targeting for 2023? That's a great question. I'm still working on it. Um, 
But what I usually do is I, I look at the past year and I ask myself, first and foremost, what did I enjoy? What gave me energy? What got me excited? And in my case, what got me business results as well? Although if I did something and I didn't enjoy it, even if it produced great results, I'm probably not going to do it again because I really want to make sure that I enjoy what I do. So I know that my online courses did really well and people found tremendous success. So I'm going to keep doing those. Um, but I am thinking about launching something new. And when I figure out exactly the format, I'll let you know. But it's, it's about having more FaceTime with my audience and with people who want to grow their career. So maybe a podcast, maybe a YouTube, we'll figure it out. But I just want to be able to reach more people and share this type of advice because no one, no one really teaches you how to do that. There's no class in school, how to manage your career 101. Right. And it, it's kind of a shame because the it's, it's not necessarily easy, but the concepts are simple. As long as you um, understand them, you can execute and you can get incredible results. You just need the knowledge. You just need to know that you're that you actually have the option to do things differently, that you can actually take control of your career and drive it where you want it to go. And you don't have to be at the mercy of anyone else. You can actually make it happen for yourself. Great. Great. So where can people find you, connect with you, and learn from your content and expertise? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn, Maya Grossman, but you can also go to mayagrossman.com um, and get access to all of my resources and learn more about my courses. Love it. Again, folks, a plug. Absolutely get the book. Uh, again, I'm getting a signed copy, so don't be jealous. <laughs> uh, invaluable. Uh, and it's good mastering the, you know, uh, manage, master 10 skills to help skyrocket your career. Uh, Maya, thank you so, so much uh, for your expertise, your time. She responded very quickly to partner and, and jumping on the podcast. So I thoroughly appreciate that. She has a massive following uh, on LinkedIn. So that just means she's she is providing invaluable uh, information. So you definitely want to connect and follow with her. So any last in any any what's your daily mantra? I like to ask folks that what's your what gets you going every day? Well, funny enough, um, I actually have it written um, on my lock screen on my phone. I don't know if you can see it, but it basically says building the career of my dreams. So this is my mantra. This is what I'm doing. Uh, I'm teaching other people how to do it, but I'm also building the career that's going to make me happy because I believe we all deserve to enjoy our careers. We spend about 90,000 hours um, at our jobs. And that's about a third. I think it, apart from sleep, I think that's where you spend the majority of your time. Mm -hmm. And it makes absolutely no sense to hate it. It makes absolutely no sense to be miserable when you can enjoy it, when you can actually learn and grow and be fulfilled using that time in a different way. So that's what I want to do for people. Absolutely love it. We're going to end it right there, folks. Maya, hang on. I'm going to close this out for a, uh, a quick video. But appreciate you, folks. We'll see you next week. God bless and continue success.